1: The Bulls are battling the reigning NBA champion, Milwaukee Bucks, in round one of the NBA playoffs. Keep it on The Score as we continue our coverage of this huge series for the Bulls. We are Sports Radio 670 The Score, official radio home of the Chicago Bulls. Live from the Hyundai Studios, presented to you by your local Hyundai dealers. We are WSCR and HD Chicago, WBMX HD2 Chicago, and Odyssey Station. The Score!
3: The Top of the hour is being brought to you by DuckDuckGo Privacy Simplified. And this hour is being brought to you by Team Hochberg. Visit their website, 56david.com. That's 56david.com. Ray, let's go.
1: Lawrence Holmes. Noon to 2 on Sports Radio 670, The Score, in Odyssey Station. James Fegan, White Sox reporter for the Athletic. Yes, James. On Twitter at Jr. Fegan. I can anticipate this question. It's probably way too early, but excellent. Too soon. <laughs> too soon. Asking the questions to get
4: the answers you need. If you knew that Abreu was available to be the runner there, would you have gone to him
1: instead of Hendricks? Yeah, if I'd known that, i didn't know that. I check the rule. I'm guessing you know the rules better. Now I know. James Fegan with Lawrence Holmes on, on six seventy the score. score. score.
3: score. The White Sox are snowed out in Cleveland, but there is still a lot of stuff to talk about when it comes to said White Sox. James Feigen joins me on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Mr. Feigen, how are you today?
4: Uh, I'm not sitting in the snow or playing in 38-degree weather like yesterday, so uh, the weekend has been relaxing to me comparatively to... Other people in the White Sox universe.
3: Okay, that's cool. But before we talk about the White Sox, I'm just this is just kind of a a fishing expedition by me. You're a region guy, right? You grew up in the region, or you just live in the region? I grew up in Hyde
4: Park, Kenwood. Technically, Kenwood, but you know how yes, there you you know how Kenwood kind of gets lumped in.
3: That's it's yeah, it it is become like a thing, and people don't know where the it's like almost like an annex, and Woodlawn is kind of getting annexed into it too. Now, which is really, really strange. So, Bulls fan? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Michael Jordan. Uh, like, I had see- my
4: uncle grabbed season tickets like the night he was drafted, which was like definitely, without a doubt, like the most smart purchase my uncle has ever made his entire lifetime. So, I saw a lot of like Jordan and Pippen like in person as like a six year old. And if you don't become a Jordan fan watching him as like a little kid, I think you're on the path to sociopathy, um, which. Somehow I
3: avoided. So now are are you into what's happening with the Bulls at all, or has baseball got you too busy? I think, like, the two, like, main pure
4: sources of fanhood left in my life are Bulls basketball and Notre Dame basketball because that's where I went to school. But obviously if you call it a football program, and so you have to cover them. It kind of feels a little bit more like a, a very um, – operator type program and it doesn't feel as innocent and pure as maybe watching Mike Bray trying to make it to the Sweet 16 with a bunch of grad transfers.
3: Okay. That, that's fair. So what have you thought about the Bulls so far this season?
4: <laughs> for for a, a very large stretch of time, it was like the, the source of like brightness, of my life during the middle of uh you know, the lockout and everything <laughs> being shut down and like, I, I tweeted it yesterday, but, like, you know, the, the meme of Stringer Bell saying we back up with the Bulls hat on. Like, that's how we felt in uh, in November and December. And now I'm just like, all right, here it comes. Just just get it over with. <laughs> We're about to be put out of our misery, and uh, I, I hope it's quick and gentle.
3: It, it's so weird. Like, I, my experience was similar. Like, my uncle had tickets, and we used to go to games when I was a kid. Like, that's something like the... Some of my best memories as a child was we, he would always take me and my brother, we would always get the Christmas game. Like it'd be Christmas game versus the Knicks. It's like, we go into the game today. We would to go to downtown. Like it was, it was always exciting, man. It's hard to put into words what those games and that feeling of being around the Jordan Bulls was like. It was very much, it was.
4: That and growing up watching Frank Thomas, it was, you watch someone and you kind of assume something went wrong when he didn't get on base. You kind of assume like something went wrong or like there's a glitch in the game or you need to like smack your television when the Bulls didn't win. It was a very weird way to come up as a fan that thankfully like Pharisees season would roll around and then you like, oh, this is how things are normally supposed to feel. Like it's extremely difficult to win all the time. Uh, but that that kind of set a, a weird expectation level, which translates now to where. You know, By a reasonable standard, the White Sox are very successful and good team these last couple of years, but they want to win a World Series, so you're holding them to this higher standard of you know, being better than everyone, not just reasonably good.
3: I'm looking forward to your hits in September when I can also ask you about the Bears, because I think that would be kind of interesting. Now, Ray, put it on the list of things that we're going to ask Vegan in September. We're going to ask him about the Bears, and then he's going to get angry about the Bears, which is good. White Sox keep. Uh, I always say, man, you, you can't go broke taking a profit. They're winning series. They won the series against the Rays. They, they they now have this first game snowed out in Cleveland. What were some of the best things that happened for the White Sox this weekend?
4: I would say the best. This is random and very insidery, but like the best thing was they had a one run lead against a good team on Friday night. So what they do? They did. They went to the rest of team. They went to Aaron Bummer. They went to Kendall Grave, and they went to Liam Lane- Hendrick. Those are the guys you're supposed to bring in to lock up a one-run game. Bummer's a little shaky, but he got through it. He's having a weird thing with his sinker command right now, which is, makes it really convenient that he's developed this plus slider out of nowhere in the last few years to kind of bail him out. But, you know, all that aside, the next game you have the very same thing. You just used all these guys. You've been using them heavily all year because your starters aren't going very long. That they are able to go and win another one-run game by using Bennett Souza and Jose Ruiz to get the bridge to Hendricks, who then wound up being the most dramatic inning, but those we you talked funny about how Jose Ruiz was not a guy you trusted to go out of low leverage last season. And Bennett Souza was literally not on the team last year. He was probably in double A this time. That you're able to kind of turn to those guys and use them as high leverage or basically have be able to go through two straight games of using guys to protect the one-run lead and you can trust all of them to some degree. Obviously just one outing, but you know, Ruiz has looked pretty good so far this year. That's big, and that's part of the reason why this team is six and three in a stretch where if you looked at all the injuries they lost and you look at the fact that they're playing, you know, all three teams, you can have your questions about Detroit, and I certainly do. All teams that hope to make the playoffs this year and extended playoffs um, and come out as well as they have, you know, have to win, even if you can look at the offense not producing as much as you want and all of these things that might be red flags when you're t- talking about is this the best team in all of baseball? But, they they've got to these stretch where they you could really think like hey if they just kind of stay five hundred with all the things they're dealing with that'd be fine um, better than they would because some of these guys
3: have stepped up. How did the White Sox feel about how Dallas Keuchel pitched?
4: I think they have to be fine. with it. one it was he was pitching in a monsoon uh, a little bit like I, that seemed to throw off Robbie Ray uh, of all people uh, as much as it did him. And I would I would say it's kind of a weirdness of the fifth inning with a couple of. Uh, of plays that could have been made a couple of dribblers. They got out of it. It wasn't. It wasn't uh, you know 2020 where he basically carried that team to the playoffs to a, a big degree that I think shouldn't get overlooked too much when you're evaluating his White Sox tenure when it's all said and done. But it was a lot more what you are hoping for the third year of Dallas to Look, when he got signed, Rick Hahn was not you know touting you know we got the 2015 2016 Cy Young and he's back baby. He's saying if this guy eats innings, if this guy has an ERA in the fours, and he's like. The good leader in the clubhouse, like that's what we want. We want stability, uh, given that we can't necessarily say that we have another you know, rotation eligible starter who's going to come up in the next couple of years and he's going to fill that role for us. If that's Dallas Keichel, get all year long. Yeah, it didn't look like the 2020 guy, like dominant or anything like that, but it definitely looked like somebody who wasn't putting himself behind in counts repeatedly the way he did last year. And it wasn't somebody who was, you know, putting runners on and making the damage worse. Dallas Keichel, you know, when he was in his prime, was not a guy who could had the stuff just blow away everybody if he's falling behind too low, or he can get a bunch of strikeouts if he's walking walk to bases and and putting two three runners on every inning. If he's getting hit, that's one thing that'll happen. But if he's not making his own trouble the way he was in the second half of last season, that's going to be a usable starter more often than not.
3: James Feegan covers the White Sox for the Athletic. You should get a subscription. You should be able to read the work that he does. When he does White Sox coverage. And he's nice enough to join us on Mondays here. On the score throughout the season. Dylan Cease with an, another solid performance. It, we talked about it a little bit last week. He he seems more comfortable. With who he is as a pitcher. How did that happen? Um, I mean he's had
4: these four pitches for a while now. I think the ability to. Kind of have more of a general idea of where he's throwing them, um, have a kind of consistency of how that changeup is coming off his hand, or the, the fact that he has this, this ability to land the slider to such a degree that he can turn to it half the time. Uh, really put, like, if you look at breaking him down on how he got hit last year, it was really just a lot of, um, you know, turning the fastball and fastball counts. And uh, as tempting as it is to kind of just try to ride 20, 98 at the letters, because you can and because it should be an effective pitch, he, he made himself a little bit predictable in that respect last year. And I, I think I remember watching him in spring training in 2018, and he was blowing away these major league hitters, but he was blowing them away by falling behind and then just, you know, throwing a bunch down the pipe and doing here, hit it. Over the course of 162-game season, that has kind of diminished returns. So the fact that he's able to kind of turn to that slider uh, in, in basically every count and, and trust it to the degree that he has, I think is what has made him take the leap as much as, the first couple of years of his struggles were about not being able to command that fastball at all and uh, you know, consistently putting himself behind the count. The fact that even when he does that now, he thinks he can land that slider, it's got such a high spin, I think it's averaging 28, 2900 uh, his last time out, that he can kind of even throw it high in the zone, even if it's not not intentionally, but if he doesn't have to command it pinpoint is what I mean, and get strikes, that, that can kind of get him out of those situations a lot more than just riding 97, 98 down the pipe and saying, here, hit it all the time.
3: There's a portion of the Vincent Velasquez start that was a disaster, like his fielding in the first inning of that. And then there's a portion where if I squint and I turn my head sideways, I go, oh, there, there's some positivity that can be taken from him reacting the way that he did, settling down, and, and looking like he feels he, he feels healthy. What did he take away from yesterday's start? um mostly frustration
4: that yeah he had good stuff last uh, yesterday he showed the ability to kind of execute consistently for uh prolonged stretches he was pretty stretched out he probably could have gone 6 if he had not blown up the first inning but those kind of little pockets those kind of little stretches amid um long displays of how talented he is yeah, that kind of speaks to why the White Sox are interested in him, why they have confidence in him. But I think you could talk to anybody who watched the Philadelphia Phillies for five years and saw, like, yeah, we 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 know Vince Velasquez is very talented, but these little stretches come up where he gets hit harder than he should, or he loses the feel for the zone a little bit, and ironing those out is, is kind of the whole story. So, yeah, I, I get why he's a good option for them to fill in starts right now. I, I see why definitely you think if you can kind of iron out those stretches and bring more consistency, he should be someone who is a viable starter in the major leagues, but this is kind of the battle he's been fighting for a few years now. And the white Sox kind of, it's behooves them to kind of demonstrate, you know, what their plan is or wh- how they're able to iron it out. Now, maybe the long term down the road, you have Giolito and uh, Lance Lynn is back. Maybe you know a, m- a month from now, we're all, uh, you know, <laughs> patting ourselves, trying not to faint by how in love we are with Johnny Cueto and the shimmy and whatnot. And maybe uh, Vince <laughs> Velasquez is not a necessary, like part of the picture. And, He's more of a guy who can come in, what the Lopez is doing right now, and you know look kind of great for an inning or two, and you don't really need to stretch him beyond that and make sure it's more consistent. But, but right now, I think yeah, it was very intriguing. I wouldn't be surprised if he's able to harness that next time, start out and have good. But these are the little things that have popped over the course of the career that has made his record not look as good as maybe it should based on talent. So, uh, the White Sox haven't got maybe as long to operate with them uh, in spring or off season the way they would. You know, the famous story season, casting Carlos Rodon is that he was out of delivery so soon after the season ended that they had to stop when Rodon had non-tendered and then resigned him. So they weren't able to do that during the lockout since they just signed him during spring training. But th- this is kind of the battle since year. So, yeah, it looks a little bit encouraging amid the struggles. But, you know, how are you going to eliminate those struggles? Because that's, that's been the story for a bit.
3: Okay, James, I'm giving you over under here. The, the number is 40.1%. Are you going to go over or under the amount of games caught by Reese McGuire? Hmm. I would have definitely said
4: under when he got signed or when he got traded for uh, first week. Um, but he's been running 50% for a while now. And, you know, it's funny when I asked Yasmani like after he hit that home run in Detroit, because we had talked uh, in the off season, he said like, if I, I'm, I'm just excited to go into spring training healthy, not have any issues. Cause if I have, um, when I have a normal spring training, I have a big year. And so I said, you know, you, you look good at the plate today. Uh, do you feel like you got to have the spring training that you're, you're set up for a normal year? you like, yeah, honestly, no, I, I feel like it was still kind of, you know, not going to be at best that I wanted because I was kind of making sure it's talking to trainers, making sure my knees were in a good place to manage my workload in spring. And sure enough, you know, now he's gone through a little bit of uh, inconsistency of the plate. He's still kind of finding his rhythm because he didn't get those the bats in spring that he wanted. And alongside of that, we're seeing a lot more days off. He's working around 50-50 with the plate. Obviously, they feel comfortable with Reese McGuire's defense to a degree. That's part of it, that they feel like they're not going to lose that much defensively if they do go over the back there, even if they're not going to get offense. I I still think that over the second half, if Yasmani's feeling good, and certainly if he's hitting as well as he always has, that that, You know, play distribution shift shift a little bit, but it seems like this could be something that they do for a little bit of really you know kind of work borderline fifty fifty. Especially given how many day games they have in the first half of the season when it's cold weather and they don't play a lot of weekend night games, that this could be something they ride for a while. I still, I still want to say under, but I I, if you set it at thirty five percent, I think I'd have to go over.
3: Okay, all right, it's something that we'll keep an eye on throughout the rest of the season. Sample size at this point of the season is ridiculously small. It's it's hard for us to make any sort of uh, determination on what's going on with a player. But over the last four games, I got to tell you, watching Luis Robert at bats, it's looked like late 2020 Luis Robert at bats, and I wasn't expecting him to have four games where where he goes hitless. What are pitchers doing to him?
4: I feel like they're just kind of I haven't broken it down a ton, but they're they're getting them the ground out more than anything. Uh he's not striking out, he's not chasing out of the zone, but he is kind of rolling over stuff, uh, outer half or, or getting jammed to some degree. I, I think he's generally got a little bit in love with how much he can drive the ball the other way and so the natural thing when somebody's punishing you that is see if you can stretch them out a little bit more um, off the edge of the plate or really on the edges and, and see if they'll continue to go after it because they've had success. So I feel like he's in a little bit of rut with that and, and rolling over a lot of balls, but he's in general still kind of uh, going along with the team-wide trend of not striking out, not doing kind of ridiculous chasing, not doing a ton of swing and miss. But I, I think he just had a really good stretch of, um, you know, going going the other way and really driving ball for power that, you know they're they're able to kind of take him out of the zone a little bit more uh, in that direction. Now four games him doing that, disappointing. But I, I, when you bring up last year, 2020, that was a month of doing that. So I think the really big stretch, or the uh, especially now with the kind of an off day thrown in for Luis Robert to prove that he's taking another level, is making that more of a one series or one week thing and not something that kind of takes him out of commission uh, for a month. That's that's really going to be um, the difference maker. 0 of 16 stretch certainly ugly for him. Um, certainly not something that's befitting of maybe the MVP talk that a certain writer might have pumped up at the beginning of the season. <laughs> but I, I think if he shows that he can correct it on a on a game to game week to week basis, you're still looking at a guy who's you know, one of the best, you know, two hitters in the league, and not uh, someone who is learning learning how to hit major league pitching the way he was in the end of 2020.
3: James, what did did Ta and and TLR say about Ta's decision to to come home with the tying run on second base? and then being thrown out at the plate?
4: I think, you know, he didn't address it specifically, but for me, it, it kind of spoke to where the offense was. Um, you know, we talked to Tim Anderson of this season about, you know, stealing, and he said, like, that's not really the plan. Uh, this, you know, when he was stealing a bunch of bases, I think, what was it was 2018, 2019, where he stole, like, over 20, that was an offense that kind of was hoping, like, well, hopefully T.A. will make something happen and we'll score some runs. And this is an offense that's a lot more like Tim Anderson's supposed to hit 300 and we're supposed to drive him in, and he's not supposed to be burning out his legs doing superhuman efforts uh, the way he has to in the past. So the fact that he was doing that, I thought it spoke to, like, yes, it was a, you know, effectively a mistake. To me, watching that game, it very much seemed like they're not scoring unless he's making something happen. But this is a, a statement on where the offense is, that they're trying to manufacture right now that they – stole three bases an inning that, you know, they won their last game by Luis Robert running around in manufacturing runs. This is just showing that they're not hitting right now, that he feels like this is the way to do Because normally he is a very, you know, he was someone who stole at a very high percentage um, at the start of his career very successfully. He's always been very choosy. So for him to do something over aggressive like that kind of speaks to just the bats being cold right now and, and feeling like he needs to make something happen.
3: James, enjoy a, a night in Cleveland with no baseball. So what do you do? Are you going to go out and, like, find a good place to eat? Like, what's the what's the move?
4: So I have to confess I was not – I was skipping the Cleveland trip and I was going to Minnesota. So I am probably going armor Armore shopping as a result of this.
3: All right. I think that's a really good idea. Have fun, and I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good.